Yeah. Kristen, I, I'm such a mess. I can't. I can't do today's episode. Love is real. That's why. Because it's just love is real. Love is so real. I, the uh, Lifetime show just literally killed me. I've never cried so much in my entire life. It was nonstop. Oh I was God. crying within 30 seconds. Oh, you know when I cried more? When I watched it the second time. <laughs> I love that you've love watched it. it twice already. I have. I watched it twice. I live tweeted it during the premiere and then I rewatched the rebroadcast and tweeted about it again. Amazing. I I just I can't get enough of this movie. It it's just too much. It's perfect. It was so magical. We're gonna talk about it in depth on today's episode, yes. but everything is happening. So we should really messy bun and get this done. Let's do it. I'm Kristen Meinzer, a lifelong Royals enthusiast based in the US. And I'm James Barr, a ginger Royal-loving Harry fan in the UK. And you're listening to When Meghan Met Harry, a Royal Wedding Cast. In each episode, we examine the latest news about the wedding, do a deep dive into a pressing issue about the royal couple, and finally give our predictions for what we think will happen at the wedding. Shall we get to this week's headlines, James? Yep. First up, we have to talk about some of the crazy news that's come out this week. <sighs> Thomas Markle so says he won't be attending his daughter's wedding after all. How is this oh, happening? my God. And it's happening in the midst of so much drama. I just can't believe all of the different headlines from minute to minute. The headlines are changing. Yeah. Us Weekly reports that Meghan Markle was disturbed to find out that her father staged all of those famous photos we've talked about on the show with a paparazzi photographer. You know, we talked about him being seen reading a guidebook to England, for example, or trying on a morning suit. All of those supposedly staged. Yeah, the Daily Mail first published the footage of Thomas and the photographer at an internet cafe working on staging a photo of Thomas reading news about Meghan and Harry. And this is so shocking. Like, all these photos we've seen, they were all so perfect. And we loved them. And we were fangirling over Thomas, Team Thomas all the way. And now it turns out that it's kind of faked. Yes. And not surprisingly, Samantha, Meghan's bitch older half-sister, has something to do with it. She is stepping forward and taking the blame for this whole fiasco. Apparently, she tweeted that she told Thomas Markle to do the photographs in order to help his public image. She felt the media was making Thomas look bad, photographing him doing things like buying beer, for example. And she thought just some nice, wholesome pictures of him reading guidebooks and getting ready for England would help his image in some way. But you know what, Samantha? No. I just can't. What? Why on earth would she do that? What is she? And what does she think she was doing? Oh, collecting a big check. That's what I think she was doing. Oh my god, <laughs> it's so it's so mean spirited and vile. Like to do that to your half sister who's getting married, <sighs> and now he's I mean, not going to be the week of the wedding. Yeah. Yes. So <sighs> so anyway. Just before all of this news came out, Thomas had apparently had a heart attack early last week. Uh, he left the hospital uh, in order to make it to London in time for the wedding. But since this news has broken, he's now changed his plans. Oh, I just I don't know what's true and what's not true in this story, because also some journalists are saying that maybe he didn't have a heart attack and is just saying he did. But regardless, as of May 4th, it appears that Harry and Thomas still have not met each other. So Megan is marrying Harry with Harry having never met her dad. Where, oh, it's where, so sad. Where do you think the palace is at with this? Do you think they would would have wanted Thomas to be at the wedding? 
Or do you feel like after this controversy, they would rather he stayed away? Oh, I mean, it's so hard to tell. The palace is, of course, doing what they always do. They're saying, this is a personal matter. Please respect the privacy of the couple. They're not getting into any more details beyond that. But, I mean, I'm sure the palace just does not like any cooperation with the paparazzi. Unless it's Vanity Fair, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think they would be very upset by all of this news. Uh, We're so sad for Megan. We're so sad. But maybe one of our predictions will come true. Here's the silver lining, guys. We predicted on an episode a while back that Doria would walk her daughter down the aisle. And now maybe that will be the case. I hope so. That would be a silver lining in all of this. Can you just imagine how beautiful that will be? Mother, daughter, her mother is her best friend, just walking into that chapel together. (laughs) Oh, so good. So good. (laughs) Next up, wedding guest updates have been leaking to the press like crazy. And we've got some of them for you right now. Top of the list, Prince Philip has recovered enough from his hip surgery to see his grandson walk down the aisle. Yay, Philip. Philip, yes. Go, Philip. Also, many of Harry's military buddies will be in attendance, including James Blunt, the singer. I thought you were going to say my name then. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Literally in my head was like James Barr. (laughs) We we should mention, in case listeners have not heard this yet, we are going to be there. Yes. We're going to be at the wedding. We will be there. Have we said that before? I'm not sure if we've said that. I don't know if we've picked that up enough yet. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) So if you're coming, we'll see you there. Yes. So James Blunt, the singer who served in the British Army alongside Harry, will be there. Another singer. Joss Stone, who's an ambassador for one of Harry's charities, she's also invited. But now let's talk about the controversies. I mean, I don't think this is as big a controversy as you're making out. But (laughs) Chelsea Davey, (laughs) Harry's most long-term ex, is not invited to the evening reception. But she will. Well, she should not be. (laughs) However, she will be at the daytime festivities. Why do you think that's the case? Because she's an ex. She's very politely being invited to a ceremony with hundreds and hundreds of other people where nobody will have to look at her, but she's not going to be in a situation where Harry and Meghan have to mingle with her. That's my theory. Because you don't want to mingle with your exes at your wedding. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think you're right. Pippa Middleton is also only invited to the daytime, but not the evening reception. I guess that could be because of the pregnancy. Well, or maybe she's just not that important. (laughs) Oh, Ben! I didn't really mean that. I No, Pippa is great, but I think, you know, the press likes to always pretend like she was waiting in the aisles for Harry and she needs to be there all the time with Harry. But no, she's moved on. She has a husband. You're right. She's about to have a kid. She has other things to do and Harry has other things to do. She doesn't need to be at the evening reception. The UK Prime Minister, Theresa May, is also not invited to any of the festivities. Yeah, that's not surprising because we already know that they're trying to keep most of the politicians away from this wedding. Yeah, um, I think including that's Donald Trump. super yes. lovely, actually. Yeah, I think that's the right decision. And I'm really looking forward to their tweets on the wedding day. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> I can't wait to see what they say. And finally, we found out another big part of the ceremony will involve Bishop Michael Bruce Curry from Chicago, Illinois. Yes, he is the Episcopalian bishop and he'll be giving the reading at the wedding. And I just have to say, I love how all of the Americans who are involved in this wedding have such a high profile. I just love this. I love that it's part of Megan's culture. It's part of Harry's culture. 
everybody is being represented at this wedding. Yeah. The world is coming together. Yes! <laughs> we talked a few episodes back about the Instrument of Consent, which is the handwritten and illustrated document in which the Queen officially recognises the marriage of those in line for the crown. And without a consent, a royal marriage is void. And over the weekend, Buckingham Palace released a photo of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's consent. It was so beautiful. It looks like something you would buy at some sort of medieval antique shop. It's just the way it's written with the calligraphy, with the illustrations. It was drafted by the Crown Office. It's handwritten on vellum, which is a calfskin and is used only for important state documents. And the illustrations are fantastic on this. Yeah, they include a red dragon, the heraldic symbol of Wales for Harry being Prince of Wales, and the floral emblems for an English rose, a Scottish thistle, the shamrock of Northern Ireland. And notably, it also includes two golden poppies, which are the official flower of Meghan's home state, California. Love that. So does that mean California is now officially part of the Commonwealth also? You know what? Maybe... (laughs) Maybe the Commonwealth is part of California. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on who you ask. <laughs> the document will be given to Harry and Meghan once they are married. Oh, that's so wonderful. Oh, that is just too adorable. And finally, we have to talk about the Lifetime movie, Harry and Meghan, A Royal Romance. Both of us watched it and tweeted about it nonstop. And as you know, the film's executive producer, Meredith Thin, stopped by the shows a few weeks ago to give us some spoilers. Oh, my God. (laughs) Kristen, it was too much. I cried within the first 30 seconds as soon as Harry put the mummy card on Diana's coffin and just the backstory that was put in there, the story of how they met, their breakup. I am dead at it. I love how the complexities of this relationship were all told, and it was so well-researched. We actually had tidbits of that article that Megan wrote about her mother being called the N-word. We have Mm. real outfits that she has worn in public replicated for this film. But I also have to point out that some of the depictions of some of the family members were quite unexpected. Can we talk a little bit about Kate? Yeah, well, actually, Kate... I felt was so wooden. <laughs> I'm so sorry to say that because um, Parissa and Murray Fraser did so well as Meghan and Harry, but Kate, I just felt like slightly let the side down. And it's really strange how almost bitchy Kate came across. Yes, I, I couldn't help but wonder, is she supposed to be a villain? Is she supposed to be comic relief? And her relationship with Wills was hilarious. Like, you know, we always were quoting in the lead up to this movie, the one line she says, Harry, marriage isn't so bad. Yeah. And then in the movie, she turns to Wills and says, right, Wills? And Wills just pauses. Wills! Wills! And that's what happens. Yeah. And like, oh, you're not, I'm not allowed opinions publicly anyway. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, I couldn't really quite get a read on them. And I loved the characters. I thought they were hilarious. They did seem a little bit comical. Yeah. But one character I have to say who really surprised me was Camilla. Yes. Oh my God. One my heart. She made me cry in this Stop movie. it. I cried as well. That scene at, um, <laughs> whose wedding were they at? It was Pippa, no. Pippa's? Pippa's wedding. And yeah, basically it was the moment where Harry was with mum and dad and he says, oh, you know, I feel like you two should have always been allowed to get married. And then Camilla says, but then we wouldn't have you. And the world would be a far less wonderful place. Oh my God, oh my I gosh. cried. And I, I, I genuinely cried. believe that that's how they feel as a family. Oh. I I'm hope just so. so sad. But not to just die, because <laughs> no. notably, the actress who plays Die in the movie 
She was really well cast. I thought she looked like Di, and the chemistry between her and the actor playing young Harry, I thought that was lovely. Me too. And, I mean, another moment that just upset me so much was the argument that Harry and Meghan had, or Harry was trying to have with Meghan when they were talking about Di in Botswana, and he just, like... Oh, I mean, we don't want to ruin it in case you haven't seen it, especially if you haven't got a stream in the UK. But, oh my God. But we do have to talk a little bit about how Doria is depicted in the movie, too. I thought Doria was great. She is totally the hero in this movie. She is completely the voice of logic. She's loving. She's supportive. Actually, both of Megan's parents are incredibly supportive in this movie. Megan's a little girl, and they're already supporting her feminist leanings, her humanitarian efforts, and... She just has such loving parents in this movie who are 100% there for her. And it was wonderful to watch their relationships. We need to watch this again. I need Let's to watch, watch it, it every day in the lead up to the wedding. <laughs> yeah, as absolutely. As soon as we turn off the mics. Wait, I have a question though, Kristen. Is, does love like that exist? Because that's, that's what I'm looking for in my life. And I find it a, such a struggle. Like, is oh, it as real God. as that, do you think? Oh, there, there is love like that. It does exist. Megan and Harry prove it. They are love. You know, I sometimes hear from naysayers, well, this is just a distraction from what matters, these two people and their soap opera. And I like to say, no, these two are a reminder of what matters most. Love across class lines, across race lines, across continents. They're just two people who love each other and they deal with the challenges that they face. And those are real challenges. Those aren't little things like, what am I going to wear to the party tonight? These are real challenges. But they're facing them head on and they're doing it with such grace and such affection for each other. And you can tell they both have each other's backs. What's not to love? I believe love is real. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) We've now made everyone listening cry as well. (laughs) Okay, guys, that's it for this week's headlines. Now it's time to welcome Jamie Cuccinelli, Associate News Director for Brides Magazine. Yes, she's back to help us figure out all things wedding style. That's fashion, etiquette, accessories, entertaining, decor, and more. Jamie, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I can't believe we're so close. Oh my gosh, we are so close right now. And that means we need to talk about one of the most pressing issues for this couple Mm -hmm. and their big day. We're talking royal wedding menus. Yes, we are. So the first odd thing we need to talk about here with royal weddings, the breakfast thing. Right. What's up with this? The wedding breakfast. Well, royal weddings typically take place in the morning or early afternoon. And you don't want your guests to be, you know, hanging around hangry until nighttime. (laughs) So we follow these royal wedding ceremonies with a royal wedding breakfast. It's basically like our brunch, but with far less mimosas. And, you know, the Queen of England is there. So (laughs) a little different. And instead of, you know, while and French toast, you have this three-course meal that features a seafood appetizer, a main course, and a dessert. What also is particularly interesting about these royal wedding breakfasts, and I find particularly hilarious, is that most of these dishes are named after royal family members. Because why would you give us an example? Give us an example. Well, Darren McGrady, who used to be the uh, royal chef, he said that at the Queen's 1947 wedding breakfast, they served filet de sole Mountbatten. Oh, her husband. Filet de sole Mountbatten. Yes. <laughs> so she's essentially eating a filet of her husband. Of her husband, yes. At her wedding. And lunch. at Princess Diana's <laughs> wedding breakfast, their main course was more or less called Princess of Wales Chicken Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Which it's was, like being at Arby's. Or, I know. Like, I mean, I think we should bring this over to, like, normal people's weddings and just have, you know, Julie and Diane's. French fries French and fries. omelet. Or, yep. I, I'm trying to think of something that would be, like, really good. Like, 
some something that would take it to the next level, like something that's like a chicken inside of a duck inside of a turkey. Oh, like like a tadukin. Well, the chicken, the Princess Diane Chicken Supreme was basically a chicken breast stuffed with lamb mousse. So. Oh my gosh, you're kidding! No. Nope. Oh my. Okay, so I have no original ideas. These guys just already have it covered. That's oh, yes. amazing. Wow. So. Tell us a little bit. Also, you said that there's probably not going to be a bunch of mimosas there. Do probably they drink not. at Do they drink at this breakfast? We do have champagne. It's a you know a celebratory event, but it's nowhere near our Bloody Mary brunches. <laughs> and has the menu changed at all over the years? I mean, we've had centuries of royal weddings. Mm-hmm. How has the breakfast evolved? Another thing you'll notice when looking at these royal wedding menus from over the years is that a lot of the dishes are French or just written in French, just because French cuisine was seen as the most elite cuisine. French is fine, but, you know, there are so many other great foods in the world. Right. Well, that's definitely evolved over the years. At Willa Kate's wedding, for instance, the menu is very British and very proudly British. Love that. Yeah. A lot of local UK sourced ingredients like Lime Bay crab and Saddle of North Highland lamb, Jersey royal potatoes and Mm. Windsor sauce. Yum. So that was definitely them, you know, injecting their own personal style into the menu, which I think we can expect at this royal wedding, too. Oh, good. So when you think about them injecting their royal style, Megan, you know, being Californian, and mm-hmm. she is a foodie back when she had the TIG. Her, right. her blog, we know that she loved Mexican food. We know that she loved Asian food. Do you think any of that might make it onto the menu? It might. I mean, she's also a total pasta fiend, so maybe we'll see some pasta in the main course, which would definitely be a switch up. I also think we might see that banana cake that everyone was talking about a few months ago. banana cake. At Will and Kate's wedding, they had a chocolate biscuit grooms cake, which was Will's favorite dessert. So I think that we may see that banana cake after all. Oh, really? So it will still be the lemon elderflower, Mm -hmm. but possibly... Possibly a little grooms cake, it's my prediction. Oh my gosh, we would... Love that. Yes. We would love that. I would go bananas for that. Oh. <laughs> I need to stop. I always make banana jokes when the <laughs> banana cake comes up. But above all, I just want that engagement chicken to make the menu. That's all oh, I want. Oh, yes. I yes, just yes. want the engagement chicken. Yes. Okay. So one final question. Mm-hmm. So this is all a daytime thing. Yes. But in more recent years, there's also been a nighttime reception, which right. you've talked about with us on the show. And that also has a menu, right? Mm-hmm. But that one can just go a lot more wild. And it's not necessarily such a traditional thing at right. the nighttime, right? The queen goes to bed early. You can get a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be at both of those events. But if I only have to choose one, I guess I'm going to choose the nighttime party. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Who wouldn't? Yes. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. You can find Jamie Cuccinelli's coverage of the Royal Wedding on Brides.com. Can't believe that we're almost at the wedding date. This is just insane. It's so crazy, but we will talk with you again next week in the aftermath of the wedding. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, (laughs) so excited. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be back with this week's Deep Dive. And we're back with this week's Deep Dive. And James, for this week's Deep Dive, I got to talk with Lucy Hume, Associate Director of, get this, DeBretz. What? No way. That's an insane coup. I know. It's insane. So can you tell listeners what DeBretz is in case they're Americans and they don't know? Because in the UK, you obviously know what DeBretz is. Yeah, DeBretz is like the go-to source for royal titles, also known as peerage, and 
etiquette. They have an entire guide on the correct etiquette and how to behave in all sorts of situations as a gentleman or a gentle lady. Yes, yes, yes. And Lucy joined me to talk about an issue that many listeners have written in about and that you and I have been curious about, and that's the titles of Harry and Meghan, how titles are given, what their titles are going to be once they are married. So take a listen. Here I am with Lucy. First and foremost, Lucy, could you briefly explain what peerage means to us? Am I even pronouncing that right? Peerage? You are. (laughs) The peerage is a, a system of hereditary titles that has existed in the UK since I think around feudal times. So uh, it's been around for a while and it was it was initially invented to reward people who um, displayed loyalty to the monarch with money and land. And that, that has just continued to be passed down. Those titles have, have been inherited and they still exist today. Just a question about that. So some people seem to be born into their titles and some people seem to be just given a title, if I'm understanding correctly then? Yes. Yep, absolutely. You're you're right. The uh, there are there is such a thing as a life peerage, which could be um, given to an individual in recognition of um, professional achievement or um, again some kind of contribution to a political party. Um, so there's yeah those do exist as well, where where they're awarded for um, I guess for kind of distinction um, in in somebody's life rather than actually inherited. And the titles can change over time. So for example. When William and Kate got married, each of them were given a new title, and we've been hearing that Meghan and Harry will also be receiving different titles. So how does that work? When you get a new title, does your old title not matter anymore? How does the, all of this work? Well, that yeah, I mean, that's what we understand, that, that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will will receive a new title, either on their wedding day or shortly before. Um, I, as far as I understand it, it's the, uh, Prince Harry will remain a prince as a, as a descriptor. Um, he, it, there has been a custom for, for many centuries of the monarch awarding her sons and her, um, her daughters and then heirs, heirs to, potential heirs to the throne an additional title, and it would be likely that he would become known by that title rather than as, as Prince Henry of Wales. Mm. So can you speculate on what those titles might be that Meghan and Harry will receive? We've been hearing rumors like Duke and Duchess. Does does that sound right to you? Well, this is the question on everybody's lips. Uh, we, we, it's yes, it's quite likely that it would be Duke and Duchess of somewhere. There are a few contenders, and mainly it's decided by which titles are available. So some titles are, are, are dormant or extinct, which means that they can be used um, to create a new dukedom effectively. And one of the front runners is Sussex, so he could, they, they could become the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. However, we won't know for sure until until it's announced. And what, hold on, Sussex. Isn't Sophie of Sussex or is that Essex? Wessex. She's Wessex. Oh, darn it. Okay. I totally <laughs> had it wrong. Too many counties, yeah. <laughs> Got it. And can we just talk about some lesser titles for a moment? So, you know how Princess Di used to be a lady? Yes. So, she inherited a title from her father, which we call a courtesy title. Um, And that was Lady Diana Spencer. And then when she married the Prince of Wales, she became the Princess of Wales as well. And a courtesy title... That sounds a little bit less important. (laughs) 
Well, it's, it really just means typically it would be the daughter or younger son of a member of the peerage. So somebody who's not likely to inherit the title themselves would receive a courtesy title, such as lady or lord. However, they would then... I don't I don't believe they would then pass that on to their children. Got it. But speaking of children, obviously the world wants for Meghan and Harry to have beautiful babies, the most beautiful <laughs> babies that will ever exist in this royal family. Will those children automatically be dukes and duchesses also? If if Harry and Meghan are made duke and duchess, will their children also be dukes and duchesses? Or is there another title for that? Well, that's a good question. And it could vary. I mean, if we look at other examples of the younger sons of the heir to the throne, such as the Duke of York. His children are princesses Beatrice and Eugenie. So, so oh, they could we be, love Beatrice and Eugenie so much on this show. <laughs> yes, we just love we them. Do, we do too. Um, it could be that any children that the royal couple have would be prince and princess, such as you know Prince George and Princess Charlotte, and now the new Prince Louis. It may be, such as in the case of the Earl of Wessex, who you mentioned earlier, his children, I understand, have the, have the kind of titles that you'd usually associate with children of an earl, which is Viscount and Viscountess. So it does get a little confusing, and, and that would really be determined by their parents, most likely. It could be as well that they choose not to bestow any title upon their children. And that was the case with Princess Anne, and she, she just decided that her she would prefer her children not to have titles. So, so that, that might be because they, you know, they would rather that they grew up with a kind of as, as close to approaching a normal life as possible. Hold on, Zara doesn't have a title? No, so Zara is just Zara, Zara Phillips is her, is her title. How did I not know that? Oh my gosh, I didn't know that Zara didn't have a title. Wow, I'm learning something. I mean, she, she's entitled to one, but again, Princess Anne decided that she didn't want her children to have titles. Is there a certain point where you're no longer entitled to a title? If you're a great, 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 great grandchild, does it cut off at a certain point where only great, great works? Or how does that work? I, I mean, eventually, Eugenie will probably have great grandchildren. Will they get to have titles too? That's another great question. I mean, I think, I think in theory, yeah, they could be inherited for as you know as many um, generations as as possible, but it, it would it would really be determined by by the parents whether they want to continue that line and hand it down. Oh, okay. So hold on to go back to Zara for a second. Does that mean Zara's kids can't have a title at this point, or can they have one? Bearing in mind that both parents are untitled, then then there's no reason why their children would have titles. Ooh, I wonder if they're going <laughs> to resent that someday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> We, time will tell. <laughs> yes. And with each of the titles, just I, I'm so curious, do you have to do different things if you're a duke and duchess versus, let's say your title is Viscount? Uh, do you have to do a different list of duties based on your title? Well, I mean, as far as um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are concerned, if they become duke and duchess of a particular area, that doesn't necessarily give them any kind of formal ties to that place. There are only two royal duchies that exist, which are the, the Duchy of Cornwall and the Duchy of Lancaster, and they're, they're owned by the Queen and, and the Prince of Wales. So those are kind of private estates that would essentially generate an independent income. So there's, there's no um, expectation that they would have to perform certain duties in whichever area of the UK they, they become associated with. But 
but it's likely that they'll just continue with the many charitable works that they currently carry out and also um it might be that they they actually decide to take on more um more duties once they're married and um more public engagements kind of in keeping with that that sort of official status as well Mm. okay one last question i'm going to backtrack once again to zara not having a title because i just can't get this out (laughs) of my head okay so do you think at some point that titles will all just evaporate and there won't be any left? Do you think that more and more people will be like Princess Anne and decide, I'm not going to give my children titles? Well, that's a possibility. I mean, on the one hand, members of the royal family can elect not to have a title. Then there are some that would they would just become extinct by virtue of of not having an heir or any kind of obvious um, inheritor to the, to, the, to the title. But on the other hand, some some are being claimed all the time. So, uh, for example, I think that you know there was there was one recently whereby somebody a, a title had been extinct for or dormant for for a, a couple of hundred years, and somebody managed to prove that they were the legal uh, inheritor of that title. Whoa! I'm gonna have to do some research into my family tree and see if I can somehow get up in that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Well, Lucy, thank you so much for sharing all your expertise with us today. I learned so much from you, and I know that the whole world is watching and is so excited right now to see what's going to happen with the titles, with the future of Meghan and Harry. And we just cannot thank you enough for sharing all your knowledge with us today, Lucy. Kristen, that is so... What an amazing interview. I'm so excited that they could become the Duke and Duchess of Sussex because I grew up in a town in Sussex called Eastbourne, so technically I'm now related to Harry. Oh, my God. Can you get a title, too? Maybe you can be the Baron of Sussex. (laughs) I think you should be the Baron of Sussex. I think I already am the Baron of Sussex. Oh, you are. (laughs) Debrett's has a wedding handbook. If you guys would like to incorporate British customs and etiquette into your own big day, and they also have a new peerage and baronetage book coming out for 2019 at the end of this year we'll put links for where to find these and more in our show notes all right we have to take another quick break but we'll be back in just a moment with this week's royal wedding prediction And we're back, and it's time for our weekly Royal Wedding Prediction. As you know, in each episode of our podcast, we've made huge, brave, and exciting predictions for what we think will go down on the big day itself. And since today is our last episode before the wedding day, oh my God, we're going to go crazy with the predictions. Because let's be face it, what is this for if not to create a big drinking game? Ah, I am so excited for these. And we've been keeping these under wraps for quite a while, James, and I am so excited to finally reveal some of these. All right. Shall we go back and forth? Yeah. (laughs) There are so (laughs) many. We've added so many, guys. This is so exciting. Prince William will make a joke about missing the FA Cup final. A fan in the crowd will be dressed as a roast chicken. Everyone should drink when a Hollywood star is seen. We'll spot an American flag in St. George's Chapel. Everyone should drink for every zealist royal caught on camera. Beatrice Hatt will eclipse the height of her toilet seat hat from Kate and Will's big day. Eugenie will dress wackier than Beatrice. <gasps> Camilla's hat will be the biggest of all. Everyone should drink if you spot the cast of suits. At least one Spencer cousin will show excessive cleavage. 
Charles will cry. Harry will make the Queen laugh. There will be three kisses for the public, though not on a balcony, because they are not going to be at the balcony. <laughs> it's a little far for them to get to Buckingham Palace after Windsor, isn't it? There are yes, other balconies yes, available. Be very long. Period. There are other balconies, <laughs> but we'll get three kisses. I feel like that will happen. Oh my god! I think my favourites in there are Camilla's hat being the biggest of all, the American <laughs> flag spotted in St George's Chapel. You know it, and of course, a fan dressed as a roast chicken in the crowd. I mean, you know that will be me. Oh, I'm just really looking forward to the Queen cracking up and Charles crying. I'm Ugh. a softie. I want to see both those things happen. I really do. I really feel that Charles will cry, Ugh. especially after That's watching the boy. Lifetime movie. Oh, <laughs> you know that he's watching that every day just like us. Ugh. He is. It's just too beautiful. <laughs> the, the wedding day is upon us. And reminder, our bingo board will be available a few days before the big day. We'll post it on Twitter and we'll have a link to it in our show notes once it's available. So keep checking back. If you have trouble finding it, send us an email when Megan met Harry at panoply.fm and we'll be sure to send it your way. Also, Quartz, the publication, is going to have a full list of our predictions as well. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. Oh my God, the final episode before the wedding. Stop. Episode before the wedding. I am freaking out. I am so excited for this big day. I am so excited to see you, James, and to be in the streets of Windsor cheering with you. Both of us with our fascinators on, both of us crying nonstop. (laughs) It's going to be so good. We're going to be crying so much. I'm so happy you're flying out to London. So, so happy. I'm so excited. And listeners, of course, we will have at least one episode after the wedding recapping all of the magic, all of the excitement, and all of the pageantry. This is not the end. As with all marriages, this is just the beginning. Oh my God, that was beautiful. And listen, enjoy the big day. Like, make it your own. Watch it with the people you love. Don't invite your bitch older half-sister, Samantha. don't don't invite her. (laughs) Do not invite her to your party. And wherever you're watching it, have the best day and let the love just consume you. Yes, absolutely. And send us pictures of what you're wearing, of what you're eating. Send us pictures of your crying faces, of your corgi butts. Just show us all the ways you're celebrating. Tweet us at Royal Wedding Pod, at I'm James Barr, and at Kristen Meinzer. We love you. When Megan Harry is produced by Her Royal Highness, Lindsay Cradwell. Thanks also to our Baron, Ryan Dilly, producer in London. And as always, thanks to Andy Bowers, Archduke of Panoply. Do you have questions about the royal wedding? And do you want to send us pictures? Reminder, we want them all. Email us at whenmeganmetharry at panoply.fm. And reminder, tweet us at Royal Wedding Pod. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. And tell all your hashtag Hagen watchers and Anglophiles about the show. We'll see you at the wedding. And we'll see you after the wedding for a big breakdown of everything that's happened. I'm James Barr. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Love forever. That was a weird kiss noise. <laughs> mwah, mwah, Three kisses. Mwah, mwah. Sloppy. Mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs>